I want to see babies' lives changed. My research has shown me unequivocally that we are failing to diagnose children with genetic diseases in time to save their lives. And this is no small matter. We're talking about thousands of children in the United States every year who are dying needless deaths because they're not getting genome testing. We need to fix that. We have to do research in order to prove that out and in order to figure out how to do it best. But really, my goal is not to do research. It's to see genome sequencing for newborns happen on a population scale across the United States so that we will no longer be in a position where we have unnecessary infant mortality. Welcome to the Newborn Screening Spotlight. Today, we're thrilled to have Dr. Stephen Kingsmore join our podcast. Dr. Kingsmore is a dedicated physician, researcher, as well as an inventor who's currently the president and chief executive officer of Rady Children's Institute for Genomic Medicine in San Diego, California. Today, you'll not only learn what drives Dr. Kingsmore's purpose to improve the lives of newborns and to prevent avoidable and unnecessary deaths due to the late diagnosis of rare genetic conditions, but also his challenges in clinical practice and research that have made his dream of a learning healthcare system using genomic medicine a reality across the world. Among his many achievements, Dr. Kingsmore pioneered the development of the ultra-rapid whole genome sequencing to decode rare diseases in newborns. In 2021, he led a team that broke his own world record to achieve diagnosis by whole genome sequencing in just under 14 hours. Dr. Kingsmore came to San Diego at Rady Children's in 2015 from Children's Mercy in Kansas City, where he was the executive director of medical panomics. He previously served as president and CEO of the National Center for Genome Resources, COO of Molecular Staging Incorporated, vice president of research at Curagen Corporation, founder of GatorGen, and assistant professor at the University of Florida School of Medicine. Dr. Kingsmore received several degrees from the Queens University of Belfast. He trained in clinical immunology in Northern Ireland and did residency in internal medicine, as well as a fellowship at Duke University Medical Center. Dr. Kingsmore is a fellow of the Royal College of Pathologists. Join with us today to learn from Dr. Kingsmore on how his groundbreaking work and the challenges of implementing research into clinical practice helps to advance newborn screening research across the world. Hello, this is the Newborn Screening Spotlight. This podcast is about the advancement of rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. This podcast is for you to learn how newborn screening research saves the lives of babies every day through the discovery of new technology and treatment. You will hear stories from experts who treat babies, the families who care for them, and the researchers who make it all happen. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Ki Chan. 
And I'm Dr. Amy Brower. We're from the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as the MBSTRN. Our work is supported by one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, called the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD. Dr. Chan and I are from the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, also known as ACMG, and ACMG leads the MBSTRN. Screening babies saves lives every day, and research advances newborn screening by developing new technologies to screen, diagnose, and treat. MBSTRN helps accelerate research by creating tools, resources, and expertise for researchers, doctors, families, patients, and advocates. To learn how you can help advance newborn screening research, advocate for rare disease screening and treatment, and learn about important discovery, become a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network by visiting our website at www.mbstrn.org. Thank you, Dr. Kingsmore, for being a guest on the MBSTRN podcast, the Newborn Screening Spotlight. We're so excited to speak with you today. Dr. Kingsmore, you are currently the president and CEO of Radies Trujans Institute for Genomic Medicine, where you lead a multidisciplinary team of scientists, physicians, and researchers who are pioneering the use of rapid whole genome sequencing to enable precise diagnosis for critically ill newborns. How did your interest in rare disease research lead you to San Diego? Hi, King. It's great to be here today. Um, this was pretty simple. I'd always wanted to come to San Diego. San Diego is just a fabulous place to live. It's got fabulous weather. It's got stunning scenery. It's got a great lifestyle. It just took me an awfully long time to actually make it here. But what precipitated that was the opportunity to create a brand new research institute. So the Reddy family gave a gift of $120 million to Reddy Children's Hospital, which is the second largest children's hospital in the U.S. And the focus of the institute was genetic diseases and genome science. And uh, that's why I came here was to realize my dream in terms of what might be possible and to change outcomes in children with genetic diseases. Thank you so much, Dr. Kingsmore. Many of us remember specific milestones that you and your team have accomplished, as well as your calls to action that have inspired Dr. Chan and I and stakeholders across the newborn screening community. During your presentation at our MBS Research Summit in 2021, you spoke about newborn screening and rapid whole genome sequencing for severe infant onset genetic diseases. Most recently, you were a part of the International Conference on Newborn Sequencing, or ICONS, inaugural meeting, where you joined researchers from across the world to share information about newborn sequencing initiatives. What are the major takeaways from that meeting and what should the newborn screening research community be aware of? Thanks, Amy. Yeah, this was a very exciting meeting. So it happened last October. It was in Boston, as you say, and it was really the first time when all of the groups around the world 
who are involved in moving genomes into the newborn period got together to really discuss their plans, their goals, their objectives. And it was a bit flabbergasting, really, because I don't think any of us had fully realized how our world is changing. But over the next five years, over one half a million babies will get a genome sequence, which will then be interrogated for hundreds of genetic diseases with the goal of really delivering on the founding promise of newborn screening. So that for pretty much every disease that there is a current effective therapy available, we have the prospect that over half a million babies will be tested for those conditions. So we're looking forward to a completely new era where sort of the promise of genomics is going to hit newborn screening. Dr. Kingsmore, you recently published that your team has developed a scalable, high-quality whole genome sequencing from archived newborn dry blood spots. Up to 81 genetic diseases are included in screening, 36 of which are recommended for newborn screening by a federal advisory committee, known as the Recommended Uniform Screening Panel, known as RUST. As you know, there are more than 7,000 rare genetic diseases that affect 6 to 8% of the U.S. population, which is about 30 million Americans. Addition to the RUST is a lengthy process. So what are your thoughts on how the use of genome sequencing using dry blood spots to identify rare diseases could change the landscape of newborn screening policy, where we currently adopt one condition at a time and the nationwide implementation can take years? Yeah, this is a complicated question, Key. So let me see if I can unpack it a little bit. So first of all, let me just say that newborn screening is awesome. Uh, it's performed on about 140 million babies a year around the world, including 98% of uh, U.S. births. So that's that's a, a really phenomenal and impressive public health uh, phenomenon. It started, as your audience well knows, in the 1960s. And at that time, genome sequencing wasn't available. And even now today, genome sequencing is only just becoming really possible on the scale of newborn screening. So current newborn screening uses a variety of assays. Some of them are genetic, but most of them are not molecular. Most of them are either immunoassays or mass spectrometry or things like that. But we are now in a position where we can think about a future where it would be possible to supplement current newborn screening with a genome sequence done at birth using the same sample type as is currently used. Now, that's a very disruptive idea. That's not a an idea that's just sort of a an extension of what's gone hitherto. It's really quite a revolutionary idea. Um, and so when you ask, what would this mean for the RUSP? and the current processes, well, that's a tough question to answer. 
And I don't think we need to have a good answer to that today because what we're talking about is still some way off in the future. But the idea would be that potentially we could supplement current newborn screening with a genome sequence and that we could test for the 7,300 genetic diseases that you mentioned. Now, of course, we'd have to go back to the principles of newborn screening and say which of those conditions make sense uh, for screening. And there's a storied history about how we make those selections. Uh, and it's done differently around the world. In the US, yes, we have a national committee who uh, thinks very thoughtfully about this. And then states are kind of free to implement additional conditions as they see fit. So our landscape is really varied around the US and even more varied around the world. Um, so I'm not sure what it will mean for the RUSP. I honestly am not. I just know that a number of groups around the world are starting very large research studies to ask fundamental questions about genome sequencing in newborns. Is it safe? Is it effective? Is it cost effective? Can it change outcomes for hundreds of diseases that are not screened for currently? I think it will be very interesting to see the answers to those questions. I think then stakeholders such as the Secretary's Advisory Committee will want to think about what might be future public health policy in response to them. I'm looking forward to sort of starting that off in terms of generating data. Thank you, Dr. Kingsmore. We so appreciated your contributions to the American Journal of Medical Genetics special issue on newborn screening research last year, where Dr. Chan and I were co-editors of the issue. Your article on the dispatches from biotech beginning beginnings, rapid newborn sequencing to end the diagnostic and therapeutic odyssey, highlighted your new project called Beginnings, a consortium in collaboration with academia, pharmaceutical companies, biotechnology interests, and nonprofit organizations to really create a new platform for implementing whole genome sequencing for newborn screening, disease management, and interventions, and to support rare disease drug development for use by partners across the world. Can you share an update on this important project with our listeners? Sure, Amy, be happy to. So BEGINNING stands for BEGIN Newborn Genome Sequencing. And that pretty much describes what we're intending to do. We would like to get consent from mums and dads when uh, mum is pregnant with a baby so that we can get an additional dry blood spot generated when a baby is born. And then we propose to decode that baby's genome and then to look up the types of conditions that we think the criteria for newborn screening fit. So conditions where there's an effective therapy, severe disorders that have early childhood onset, where we have some certainty that there would be a beneficial outcome in terms of early treatment. We have identified about 600 conditions 
that fit those criteria as best we can tell. Now, nobody's really done this before on that scale. And so we honestly don't know for every condition that we are looking at whether or not it will fully meet all of the criteria for newborn screening. So over the next several years, we're going to be doing clinical research where we enroll mums and dads in order to test their baby, to screen their baby at birth for what will become ultimately, I think, about 700 conditions. Right now, today, it's about 436 conditions, but we're not done yet. That's how many we have evaluated through a RUSP-like process. So we're starting that work actually next week. That will be when we enroll our first baby uh, from our own hospital. And over the next years, we intend to increase the volume of, of, of testing and to do that all over North America and also hopefully all around the world. At the same time, we're kind of building out the platform. Uh, genome sequencing today is not really well designed for screening populations. It tends to be expensive. It tends to use a lot of manpower. And so we're going to be building out a, a, a very automated platform that's low cost, that's highly effective, tailored around decoding newborn genomes and getting that information back to mums and dads and primary care physicians and primary care pediatricians, as well as subspecialists. So we have an international consortium. Beginnings is a consortium. It's not just our institute who's involved in this. We have about 30 partner organizations. I'm really excited that your organization, MBSTRN, is part of that. And over the next few months, we will be convening our consortium to update them on progress, to get their buy-in to what we're doing. Um, but as I said, the two big efforts right now are, number one, starting our first prospective clinical study. We've done retrospective studies, but we're starting our first prospective study. And second of all, we're continuing to build out the platform, which is a really big undertaking uh, because it has to cover kind of the footprint of a healthcare delivery system for these rare genetic disorders. Thank you, Dr. Kingsborn. I think one of the things your description highlights is just how you've always been at the forefront of not only sharing the findings after your studies are complete, but sharing how you put these studies together, inviting institutions and efforts like ACMG and MBSTRN to join along with you and to learn along with you. So I think you're one of the leaders in not only genome sequencing of newborns, but really how to share information whether it's protocols, your approach, the data, and then, you know, in hearing your description and a reminder of your update, you know, you're really thinking about caring for newborns across the lifespan. So newborns, their families, and their communities, and that's so important to our community. So I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for adding to my comments, because I think you, you gave a better description of what we're trying to do than I did. Dr. Kingsmore, thank you for sharing the updates on Begins.
If we were to implement whole genome sequencing for newborn screening globally one day, how do you envision long-term follow-up of management of care for the patients and families, including medical, non-medical, psychological services, education, and other related services to improve the quality of life to be supported? So again, this is a tough question, Key. Um, some of these questions you're asking, we could spend an hour or even a day uh, dissecting them and looking at all the facets. Um, so we're going to start at birth. And so initially, we're going to look at disorders that it makes sense to look for at birth. So we have the RUSP conditions. Um, and then in addition to the RUSP conditions, various states have added to the RUSP. In California, for example, we test for 80 conditions. So we're starting off with those conditions and then others that are very similar to those. And those we are going to do a genome lookup at birth. We would like this to kind of feel like current newborn screening. There's a big difference, though. It's research, and therefore we need consent from mom and dad to be able to do this on their baby. In fact, I think that even if we do move this into uh, the public health newborn screening area, we probably will still need some form of informed consent from mom and dad because a genome is just a lot of information. And as you say, we would probably like to look at this throughout the lifespan. So the first cut anyway is, is in a newborn. And what we're trying to solve there for there is exactly what we've done since the 1960s in newborn screening, but on a broader scale. As I said, I think there are about 700 conditions where we can improve young children's outcomes by promptly starting treatment at or before symptom onset. But then we have the issue that we've decoded a genome, and we're not going to discard this unless mom and dad tell us to. Instead, what we would like to do is to retain that under their control and then to go back to that genome during the lifespan, so in later childhood, and ask mom and dad, would you like to know more? You might want to know about uh, childhood onset cancer syndromes. Uh, where there's a high risk because of your genetic predisposition. There may be other things that we don't want to find out about at birth, but we do later in childhood. And then the same in adolescence. And then at some point, the child becomes a consenting adult, and it's up to them to make decisions about whether additional information is of interest to them from their genome. So the idea is that we would keep the genome as kind of a living electronic document that's controlled by mom and dad on behalf of their baby. And as their baby grows up, eventually they would take control of that asset. I think we can do this through smartphones. I think a smartphone interface that allows us either to push results or to invite participation. And in fact, that allows us to realize this vision of a healthcare delivery system for rare and ultra rare disorders that right now our current healthcare delivery systems struggle to do well. We have a great healthcare system in the United States for common disease, but we really struggle 
with rare and ultra rare disease. As I'm sure your listeners know, it takes on average eight years to reach a diagnosis. That's not good enough. And even after diagnosis, families struggle immensely in terms of finding subspecialists in their region who can care for their child's condition in a high quality manner. And often they are kind of alone in as much as they're not part of a network or a community and they are facing struggles with insurance and getting devices and help. And we think that we need a solution for this. This sounds like a big undertaking. It is. But if we're going to solve for the genome piece, we also need to solve for all of the healthcare delivery pieces that come after we find that a child is screening positive for one of these disorders. So Dr. Kingsmore, just shifting gears a little bit, you received your medical training from the Queen's University of Belfast in Ireland. You also trained in clinical immunology in Northern Ireland and did residency in internal medicine and a fellowship at Duke University Medical Center. You're also a fellow of the Royal College of Pathologists. What sparked your interest in newborn screening? Well, I'm old um, and I've done a lot of different things. Uh, but I did start off in clinical immunology, and that's because the very first research I ever did, which was at the Weizmann Institute while I was still in medical school, related to a rare immunodeficiency syndrome called Chediak-Higashi syndrome. And actually, later in my career, that was the first disease gene. No, actually, it was the second. It was the second disease gene that I identified. And so the start here was that I was very interested in gene discovery, finding the causes of genetic diseases, and in particular, immune deficiency diseases. Well, from that, I got very interested in the early 2000s in genomes and the realization that genomes were going to transform medicine, not just thinking about one gene or one disease, but thinking about them all. And so we started to decode children's genomes who were hospitalized and in whom doctors were stumped, as I said earlier. It took traditionally about eight years to diagnose a child with a rare or ultra rare genetic disease. And so we started out by decoding genomes in these children to say, could we diagnose them with a genome? And at the time, people didn't know whether you could do that or not. We rapidly found you could, as did many other people around the world. Then we started to say, well, how fast could we do this? And ultimately, we were able to do it in just a few hours. And then we said, well, what if we could do this for more and more children? And so over the last decade, we have built an evidence base, as of many other people with us, to show that hospitalized children in whom a doctor doesn't know the reason for their illness, will benefit from a genome sequence, using that as a diagnostic tool. And it changes outcomes in 18% of children who are tested. Just an amazing result. So that's how we got into this. It was starting to do genome sequencing in sick children, and in particular in critically ill newborns in intensive care units. 
And after doing this for a number of years, we realized no matter how many children we test in intensive care units, we're still kind of putting our fingers in a dam that's about to give way. That what we really need to do is to test all children at birth and get ahead of the problem. And then if indeed the child gets sick, we'll already have a genome on file and we can rapidly make a diagnosis. And for many of the children, let's get ahead of this and let's see whether we can pick the disease up when they're still asymptomatic. So that's how we got into this. It was in a reverse manner, starting off with science and then getting into genomes and then getting into testing critically ill babies and eventually now realizing the next logical step is to move this to all newborns. Thank you, Dr. Kingsmore. You have such a long history of successes and accomplishments that have global impact on healthcare and public health. In March of 2015, you surpassed your previous record in genetic sequencing by reducing the process time to 26 hours, which was recognized in April 2016 by the Guinness World Record as the fastest genetic sequencing in the world. And now I think your team has reduced the time again. On the flip side of the coin, would you mind sharing your biggest challenge? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so Guinness World Records are fun. We set two of them. Um, and then Guinness got tired of us and said, no, we're not going to give you any more records. So the most recent was about a year and a half ago. But as I say, Guinness didn't want to know about it. So we reduced the time again to 13 and a half hours. Well, then Guinness did something not very nice because they said to you and Ashley, yes, we will recognize your record. And so he now is the Guinness World Record holder for the fastest diagnostic genome. That's the time from getting a blood sample to delivering a diagnosis to a doctor. And he's been able to reduce that time to seven hours. So the good news is that that is now scalable. Not the way Ewan does it, but the way that we do it. Slightly different, ours is slower, but it's much more scalable. So we are now in the process of making that standard of care across North America. One thing that really frustrates me is that this is now standard of care in England and Wales, where I grew up. Well, I grew up in Northern Ireland, actually, but you get the point. Um, because they have a unified health system, the National Health Service, and it just took one decision, one policy decision, and now it's national policy that every hospitalized child will get a genome sequence if they need it. Whereas in the U.S., we still have state-by-state -state decision making and payor-by-payor decision making and then hospital-by-hospital -hospital decision making. And so even though in some states and with some private payers, we have policies that cover this tragically still only about 1% of the babies who need this are getting a diagnostic genome sequencing. So the biggest challenge is getting the establishment, and it's not one person, it's not one stakeholder, it's a whole bunch of different people. Sometimes it's Medicaid and Medicare medical directors, 
Sometimes it's their counterparts in private healthcare insurance. Sometimes it's hospital administrators. And sometimes it's individual physicians. It's persuading all of them that genomes are really good in children who have diseases for which you don't know the etiology. We, in fact, published a paper just three weeks ago where we showed that the leading cause of death in the United States, sorry, I should say, in San Diego County, because the study was limited to babies born uh, in San Diego, uh, were genetic diseases. So the biggest challenge is persuading people to innovate, to move from their traditional ways of practice to this new genome-informed way of thinking about healthcare delivery. Uh, it's taken 10 years to get there. So we started this work in 2011. It's 2022. We now have seven states that have Medicaid policies to cover this, or Medicare more exactly. Uh, but we still have a long way to go to see this become standard of care in our country. And I anticipate it'll look very similar as we start to think about population-based genomes uh, in newborns. In listening to that answer, Dr. Kingsmore, it just reminded me of what a key role you play in translational research. So your team not only does clinical research, you think about how to translate that into routine care how to translate it into public health policy for the benefit of families and communities. So thank you for that. It's just such a great reminder. So with your research hat on, what are your main challenges that you're facing today? And how do you think that the MBSTRN could help you? Great question. Um, let's deal with the second part first. So MBSTRN, uh, is a great resource for folk like me. Um, you're kind of a clearinghouse for samples and information and for tools to accelerate what we do. So that part's pretty easy. You're doing great work, keep at it. Biggest challenge, frankly, is funding. Is that at least in this country, there is as yet no national effort. In the United Kingdom, uh, government has uh, put together a funding package of hundreds of millions of dollars to enable about 200,000 uh, UK citizens to have their babies genome sequenced at birth to generate the evidence base that will be necessary to determine whether this is ripe for implementation in that population. The European Union has done the same thing. They have funded a group called Screen for Care with a similar amount of money so that they can undertake similar studies, not quite exactly the same, but similar studies in the European Union. The Australian government has done similarly, not on such a big scale. Um, the United Arab Emirates has done something similar. So has, has a couple of the Gulf states and sadly, in the U.S., we're lagging behind. Oh, I forgot China, of course. China actually does more sequencing than any other nation on Earth now. Um, and they have several groups doing large-scale trials of newborn genome sequencing. So our biggest challenge is 
that we don't have the funding yet. We don't have, we haven't excited the level of interest in either philanthropic organizations or in government funding agencies to actually come up with a program that will allow us to keep up to speed with the rest of the world. Dr. Kingsmore, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Newborn Screening Spotlight podcast and sharing your career journey, your aspirations, and your challenges, and where we can move forward in providing care for all newborns. We like to end our podcast with our signature question, and that is, what does newborn screening research means to you? Thank you, Key. So that's the signature question, huh? so I guess I better be thoughtful about my answer, huh? Well, you said it well, Amy. Um, I'm not really that into research, okay? I want to see babies' lives changed. My research has shown me unequivocally that we are failing to diagnose children with genetic diseases in time to save their lives. And this is no small matter. We're talking about thousands of children in the United States every year who are dying needless deaths because they're not getting genome testing. We need to fix that. We have to do research in order to prove that out and in order to figure out how to do it best. But really, my goal is not to do research. It's to see genome sequencing for newborns happen on a population scale across the United States so that we will no longer be in a position where we have unnecessary infant mortality. Thank you for listening to this episode of Newborn Screening Spotlight. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share an episode with your colleagues, friends, and family. Get involved. Stay informed. Help us advance discoveries. Together, Together let's, let's increase, increase the, the impact, impact of newborn screening research by listening to, to your stories. stories.